I know you're all out there, even if it's pitch dark. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a team in the background that is anxiously working to fix this, so do not fear. Some of you might know, you know, if you have your smartphones and you download those apps that you need to run your life, and there's an app that I've discovered recently called Nextdoor. This is not an endorsement. It is just an illustration of what I want to say today. So Nextdoor is an app where you can kind of know what's happening in your community. I look at it as once upon a time, there was a water well where ancient Israel would gather and share the gossip and share news and ask for help. Well, next door is one version of ancient Israel's water well. And so on this app, you can do all kinds of things. You can sell things. You can um, share news about what's happening. And I turn off all the notifications, otherwise it would be going off all the time. But there's one focus group called safety. And I make sure to turn that on because every now and then it gives something important to know. I live in Uptown and it gives something to be aware of in the area. And as Mary Lesman knows, as a good Enneagram six, I always need to know what's happening around me. And so the safety page helps me with that. But one thing I notice on this app, and I think you've seen it online as well, one of the golden rules is never look at the comments. It's true. But what strikes me and what I want to point out today is there are times where someone has experienced um, great harm, they've been victimized, they've been assaulted, they've had something stolen, and they put a word up there to kind of let the community know and to warn them. And I would say 90% of the comments are, I'm so sorry, how can we help you, thank you for sharing, right? Things that communities do, they love one another, they support, they rally around. But there are always those few trolls often men, sometimes bots, who launch in to the most vile, shaming comments. And they'll say things like, why did you answer the door, stupid? What were you doing out at night alone? Only dummies leave something valuable in their car. So you have this person who's vulnerable, who's been victimized, and then they get re-victimized by this small group of people who are bullies online. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus tells a story about mercy and the level of care and generosity that goes to the one who has been victimized goes far beyond what the law requires and far beyond what we practice in our everyday lives. I wanna go through this story again, you know it well, but I wanna point out a few things that might be helpful as we think about mercy in our lives and how we might show that to one another. So a lawyer, and poor Bob Johnston said the lawyers are getting it again today, the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knows, and Jesus says, you know, what's the great commandment? Everybody knows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The pillars of the law. And Jesus says, correct, do this and you will live. The lawyer can't leave well enough alone. But who is my neighbor? So then Jesus, you can just see him cracking his knuckles, sitting back a little bit, and he tells a story. 
Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That would have been just like every man. You make that journey all the time and it's a treacherous one. And Jesus goes on to say the man was robbed, beaten, left for dead by the side of the road. A priest walks by on the other side, not wanting to become unclean. Not cruel, just typical. A Levite, which is a temple assistant, walks by on the other side, same thing. I need to keep my hands clean for worship. And then a Samaritan, the despised of Israel, walks by, and I want to focus in on what the Samaritan does. He notices the man, and he helps. He helps a lot. He goes to him, which puts him at some danger. He binds his wounds. He washes them with wine and oil. He puts him on his animal. He takes him to an inn. He cares for him, interrupts his journey, and then gives money to the innkeeper for future care, promising to come back and check on him later. Friends, this isn't just hospitality. This isn't just neighborliness. This is extravagant mercy. And there's a hint of what Jesus is trying to say about the life of God, about how God deals with each of us on the side of the road, beaten up, left for dead, and God never forgets any one of us. And then summing up the story, Jesus says, which of these three was a neighbor to the man? The one who showed him mercy, says the lawyer. And Jesus says again, go and do likewise. Now, in this story, we know the, the deal about Samaritans. We know the, the idea that they're the outsider and that the love of God is revealed in the outsider. That's great. But it's the extravagance of the mercy that stops me today. And sometimes when I read the Bible and then I look at my own life, there is a gap between what is being shown to me about the life of God and how I live my life. Whenever I am in Dallas and I see a situation like that, I walk on the other side. I don't want to get involved. I don't know if someone's going to take advantage of me. We know this. This is just common sense, right? It's not realistic to help everybody. We can't show mercy to every sad soul. It's unrealistic. It can't be done. And what I leave with you is your own wisdom about what situations to intervene with, to think about how you show mercy, but to wash our hands of care of our neighbor, we can't do it as Christians. It's not part of our baptismal covenant. We must find ways to show mercy, whether it be with our spouse, with our children, with our coworkers, yes, maybe the stranger on the street, we are not released from the law of mercy. Because if we claim to follow Jesus Christ, if we claim to follow God, we are grounded in mercy. We sit here by God's mercy. We have been redeemed, we have been saved by God's mercy. And so I see how I act, and I see what Jesus' story says, and then I have to tolerate the discomfort of the gap. And so what I did is I went back and I read Luke again. And I'm trying to understand how does Jesus do this. Because he's not just telling a good story. He reveals it on the cross. There is no limit to the mercy that Jesus will show. 
And so I said, what is it about this man? What is it about his life that enables him to basically swim in mercy? And I found three things that recurred again and again and again. And since we are disciples of Jesus, I suggest we go and do likewise. First is prayer. Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed in the wilderness before his temptations. He prayed at night while everyone else was sleeping. He prayed in the garden. He prayed on the cross. Jesus' life is a life of prayer. There is a sense in which he has to root himself in the relationship with the Father, knowing that the world is not representative of God's values. So he stayed in connection with God through prayer. Second, and I think as a result of that, Jesus is spirit-filled. Luke says in multiple places, particularly in chapter three, the sentence begins, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and did this. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and did that. That prayer, that meditation, that waiting on God filled him with a spirit that did stuff beyond his own power. It healed people. It freed people. It drove out unclean spirits. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And the third thing that marked Jesus' life was community based on God's values, not the world's values. That's why he called the disciples. That's why he calls you and me. He is trying to form a circle that takes their lead from God, from the Father, not from what we hear constantly in our apps, on the news, from our friends. We are countercultural. We have been called for a purpose to represent God on earth. It's a huge calling. And there's a gap between what we can do and what the Spirit can do. And so we have to pray. And we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have to come and be part of community that's doing the same thing. Just a few days ago, I went to a conference. I was invited to a conference in Banff, Canada. Yeah, tough gig, right? 55 degrees, gorgeous views, bears on the side of the road. It was terrific. But it was very interesting. It's something called Renaissance Weekend. And what they do is they invite leaders in their fields. And so at this conference were astronauts and astrophysicists, surgeons and researchers, CEO and venture capitalists, and a priest. It's very interesting to get into a conference with folks who are from different fields. It sharpens you. It makes you curious. It awakens your mind. And so my assignment was one lunch to speak for two minutes with about 15 others to the entire group about what's next. That was our title. What's next? What problems or possibilities lie ahead? And you know what I said to this amazingly august and diverse group. I said, the exponential growth of technology increases our need to meditate and pray. We can't know right relationship without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead us into communities of love. That is the message that I brought to this group. And guess what? They agreed. They're not Christian, some of them. Some of them are atheists, and yet they heard in what I said a sense of pausing, a sense of slowing down, a sense of being filled with some spirit other than the world, a sense of community. Who can't get on board with that? 
The Samaritan in today's story, he's not the outlier. His generosity is not the strange thing. His choices simply reflect the life of God. God is merciful. God is generous. God cares for the poor. The outliers are the robbers, the priest, the Levite, all of whom ignore the suffering of another human being. The outliers are those who have forgotten God and forgotten how to show mercy. And I suggest in our modern context, another example of an outlier is those online bullies who shame, berate, and further victimize those who are already hurting. Pray for those poor people. They have forgotten God and how to show mercy. Jesus said to his disciples, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Mercy isn't foolish, it's strong. And in fact, I believe mercy is the bedrock of heaven and a sign of our union with Christ. Amen.